In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Is today the first day that we're going to get some Browns players in Bria? The rookies, are they coming? But anyway, we'll discuss that later. I'm here with Jack Duffin and Ian Wright, right, right. Jack, how are you, buddy? I'm good. Loving life. Four weeks left till I get the dog, and that is basically all I care about at the moment. That is nearly double, no, double nine weeks until the NF season actually officially starts. Exciting times. Ian, how are you? I'm good. I will say, Baby Claude is uh, one good-looking uh, uh, one good-looking pop. I'm going out on a limb. Named after Claude Giroux or Claude McAlealy. Oh, Claude McAlealy. Okay. Uh, Ian, okay. do you know who that is? No clue. I think he was a former Chelsea guy back in the '90s, if I'm not mistaken. On '90s, <laughs> in the uh, mid to late 2000s. It was yeah. that late? I remember the name. I just would have gone back longer. French yeah, you remember from uh, Real Madrid probably back then. Okay. Or early 2000s. French, French international, short kid, all over the park, good at tackling. I see uh, my boy Polisic is uh, tearing up the turf over there. He's doing good. He's a, he's 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 a Pennsylvania boy. Injured in the last week, but uh, he is looking tasty. He's going to have a great year next year on the left wing. He's a stud. He's probably, honestly, at this point, the best American soccer player at this point in his career that we've had. I mean, kids, PA kid. Ian, do you know what team he supports? What, are you talking about Polisic? Yeah. Well, he was, I knew him when he was with BVB in, uh, in Germany, and then he went over to loan to Chelsea. I would say if you're talking about NFL teams over here, he's either going to be a Steelers or an Eagles fan based on his hometown. But Ugh. to be honest, he doesn't come off as really a football guy, so I wouldn't be shocked if he's not playing NFL but he's playing football every week in London, mate. I'm a bit confused. Oh, uh, American football or soccer, sorry. Brunch. All right, great. Well, let's start off with Jack's been looking forward to this one, the Miles Garrett contract. Jack, how does it look? Well, unsurprisingly, we still don't have the final numbers. Um, oh. we've, we've got the headline stat of $125 million over five years. It's $50 million guaranteed at time of signing. It's $100 million guaranteed in total. So loads of records there. He becomes, when it's silly to look at just the dollar value, and you'll see people compare dollar value to other players. If they're doing that, they probably don't know anything about the salary cap. Um, what you need to look at is the average per year as a percentage of the salary cap, just because it goes up so much. So if we compare that, let's just look at the five biggest contracts on the D-line. We've got Khalil Mack. It's sad that I'm doing this straight from memory, even though it's been a while. Is 13.3% of the NFL salary cap um, as an average per year. Next, we had Donald, who I believe is 12.7%. Then third is Miles Garrett, which is 12.6%. 12.5% is JJ Watt. And then it's 12.3 or 12.4 is um, Von Miller. So he sits nicely in there in the big three. 
the one unique thing um, about his deal compared to all six that stands out and unfortunately our beat reporters haven't asked the question or I did, at least didn't hear it was every other deal was six years. Miles Garrett's is separate with it being five years. And that that's really disappointing in a way that we weren't able as a team to get that extra year. And when people say, oh, what's the difference between five and six years? Well, that's a year where we could have gotten a 25 million. By the time we get there in the salary cap, that could be a 28, 29, 30 million maybe extra year that he's getting. So that, that's about five million. That, that soon adds up. So it was disappointing that we weren't able to get that deal done. Um, maybe it'd have been the highest paid and been a lot nearer to Khalil Mack if uh, we'd have got that extra year in there. But I would love to have seen it in there. I think it would have made a big difference. But Jack, you had, a, you had a good answer when I asked you the question of most of the NFL guys nowadays aren't even living out their contracts anyways. So for the people that are saying, well, five doesn't matter because after he's a defensive player of the year, two out of the next three years, we're going to renegotiate and extend him again at year four. You had a good answer to why even that sixth year in a renegotiation standpoint um, is beneficial. So you want to elaborate a little bit on that one? Yeah. So say we renegotiate after four years. So at the moment, he'd have one year left of whatever that number might be, but working on 25 million average. If that was two years left and we come to the agreement, we want to peg on four more years in total. So you're then able to go four years split with the two that are 25 million, right? We'll call it 27 and a half. Whereas if that's not there, you've got one year at 25 and you're adding on five years instead that are at 30 million. Suddenly you're looking at a much bigger deal. So that moves there. And the more control you have over a player, the earlier you can sign it. And so when some people were saying, oh, I'm amazed they managed to get a deal done with Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett had no choice. He was three years done. He's got two more years left because of his fifth year option. Then he's got two more years in the franchise tag. If you go in the first round, you are under contract for seven years as an NFL player. You have no control, no negotiation position. You have given up your freedom. And, and this is a guy who's 24 years old. He just signed that big deal at 24. So yep. it makes sense for him to do that five-year because now 29, he's a free agent. And – he can still look what Olivier Vernon's getting in his early 30s. Just imagine what Garrett's going to get after probably, you know, being one of the top three or four people in the league in sacks over the next three to four years. He's going to get another huge contract. So props to Miles Garrett. It's a great deal for him. He'll be 31 because he's got five years plus the two that he's still got to play. So it's added on. So he's still got two years left. We're adding on five more. So in, in effect, we've got seven more years of Miles Garrett. Um, I thought I saw 2026. So, that one's... Um, Jack, quick question for you. Yeah. Um, we can franchise tag him for two years after the five years. Is that correct? I would expect there to be no, no franchise tag clause in the contract. But until that comes out, we don't 100% know. Um, what, so, you can put non-franchise tags in contracts? Yeah, you can put clauses into your contract that all stop a team using a franchise tag. I don't think that will be in there, but it certainly could. Um, so it's one to keep an eye on. The one really interesting thing, so there was something in Miles Garrett's contract that has never been in an NFL contract since Joe Flacco in 2013. So that is an awful lot of contracts been agreed since now and then. 
and that is a double option bonus. And so how this works and how Miles Garrett's deals constructed, because there are some numbers that have come out. I'd recommend Joel Corey's um, podcast, Inside the Cap. He's just launched it. It's fantastic. A massive, brilliant follow on Twitter. But um, launched the podcast. So Miles Garrett signed a $21 million signing bonus. So this year, split over the next, what's that going to be, over the next five years at $4.2 million a year that 21 million. So that breaks down. Then next year, he's got an option bonus in 2021 for it's 20.665 million. So that's due to land. And what that's going to do, it's basically like a signing bonus, but it kicks in in 2021. So he's got 4.133 split over the next five years following 2021. And then he's also got a 2022 option bonus. And these option bonuses, they're fully guaranteed. They'll just happen when they happen. Is a, it's just under 18 million. So that breaks down over 2022 all the way to 2026. And that is 3.6 million each year. And so he's got a lot of guarantees pinging up late in that deal. So it's a completely different structure than what we've seen with Tyreek Hill um, Patrick Mahomes, where they've gone really heavy on the roster bonus, which is basically guaranteed as well. But that way they can push salary cap down. Whereas this is all fixed. All of that 21, the 20.665, that 18 million, we can't move that around. That is dropping in those years and gives us no flexibility. So the Browns are basically sacrificed cap flexibility to go we're going to more or less guarantee his entire deal. And it's disappointing that they've done that. I'd rather have the position to move around some salary cap if we need to create some space in a particular year. But it's one we'll, we'll see more information on it when it finally comes out. Jack, if you were to compare the deal Mahomes got in terms of, say, a score one out of 10, you know, 10 being in terms of the team, not in terms of the player, in terms of the team, if you were to give Garrett a 1 to 10 ranking, 10 being the highest, and Mahomes deal a 1 to 10 ranking, what would you kind of put them both as? Just so, based on what we know about Garrett right now. Yeah, so take the value number out of it, but in terms of structure, mm-hmm. I would put Patrick Mahomes at an 8 or 9 out of 10. Incredibly team-friendly. Team comes first. Lots of flexibility. And flexibility is the key thing. Both of these deals are going to be incredibly expensive either way. And you expect the player to last the entire contract. But in terms of moving money around, from what we've seen of the Garrett deal, I would put it somewhere in the two to three out of 10 for flexibility. It gives the team no flexibility. It's very player friendly. And that for me is the disappointing thing. We've given him the benefit of having one less year, which means he's quicker to free agency. We've given him the benefit of the money set. He knows where he is. It's not team friendly. And we could guarantee exactly that money through using the roster bonus, same structure, the Chiefs are using in multiple deals, but we haven't done it. And for me, I'm, I'm almost confused about the plan from the salary cap position for the Browns. doesn't matter too much with Miles Garrett. He's going to see all of those years. He's going to get paid. That's okay. What's going to be deeply concerning from a team perspective if we start doing these style of deals, similar to what we did in free agency for the middle of the roster guys, because that way you start stacking up a load of dead cap because you can't move on from these players. And if you are moving on from them, you're paying 10, 15 million in dead cap 
and you don't want to be paying 15 million for players that aren't on your roster. Because the only thing, the only thing I would say is Deep Podesta, these guys, they're kind of forward thinkers in terms of how they go about things. My guess is one of the reasons we haven't seen the full details come out. There's probably, there has to be something in there. The Browns aren't going to go straight suicide in terms of how they're going to set up all these deals. Maybe they're reserving certain types of deals for, you know, those core positions where there, there has to be a team benefit. Because like you said, if you're only giving it a sort of three out of 10, I, I can't see that being a deep Podesta driven deal. So I'll, I'll also be really curious to see when it comes out, just kind of how it's structured. At the end of the day, Miles is going to be really rich and he's going to be in orange and brown for a number of years. So you guys run out to your team shop to buy those 95. Let's be honest, he's going to be here a while. Oh, he's definitely going to be here for a long time. I've got mine stashed. It's in a safe house in London. All right, it's, so uh, Garrett's 1A and Nick Chubb's 1B, right, Theo? <laughs> Maybe a bumper oh, sticker. One thing we've never discussed on the podcast was our mate Olivier uh, Veron, as I call him. Um, his contract. What do you think about that, Jack? I thought it was a really smart move. Um, Vernon had nowhere to go because if we cut him at that stage, he's not going to get good money. Um, if you had had Clowney picked up, or Everson Griffin's picked up, then he could just turn around and go and cut me. I'll go sign for someone else. And there'd be a better chance if it was close to free agency. At this time of the year, he's got no other option. Um, but it, it was a smart move. It, it's one where... He, the player's happy. He gets his guarantees. He knows what he's getting. The team's in a better position because I think they save three million. Um, yeah, there, there's slight more, but he'll earn at least half of it back in incentives. So um, I, I think it, it's just a really smart move. Saves a little bit of money, and that money it's got to go one place. It's got to go get me some Vinnie Curry. I want Vinnie Curry shares, and I want all of them. Hey, Barry knows him from his time in Philly, so. I, I will say a lot of these free agents right now, I think, are just sitting out. There's really no incentive for them to sign. You know, and that's, I think, to your point regarding Vernon is he didn't want to get into the free agent market with all these other guys who aren't willing to sign. because well, then what the hell is he going to do? At least now he guarantees a spot in the locker room. So it, it, it makes sense. You know, there was, the Browns needed that second pass rusher. I think Vernon at his age knows that being opposite of Miles Garrett is probably a really good thing for his career. But from an on-the-field standpoint, it's definitely, you know, a smart decision for him. And if he hits it off this year, he probably can get another, not a huge deal, but he can probably get another nice multi-year contract with a couple million bucks coming his way. Yeah, get two, three years, um, some decent money. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he's due to uh, do well. I think if, if he can stay healthy, if he can play at least 13 games, then uh, he's going to do well. Guys, we keep talking about the uh, cap space. Do you think it could be affected by the coronavirus at all? Yeah, so we're expecting a big drop. So some of the reported figures, it could be as big as 60 million um, per team, um, which in an impact when you're looking, that's about a third of the roster. Um, so if you can do it in Hang one on a year... Bit. So the rosters, the cap space is going to go by a third? So that, that, that's projected potentially what the loss is going to be. Um, and the clubs have to suck it up. The players have to suck it up. So, well, the actual loss in terms of, I don't know if it's 60 million in, I think it's 60 million in cap space, which means the overall loss is 120 million per team. So it's how they go about delving into that 60 million and how they do it. So there's, there's two different sides. So you've got the owners who are going, look, 
if we're going to lose this 60 million, we want to deal with it as quick as possible because they need to settle the books that that money's not coming in. It's the terms of the CBA says deal with it in the next year unless an agreement's reached. The players obviously don't want all of that middle tier of veterans just suddenly wiped off and you have a massive influx of undrafted free agents, cheap players playing on the minimum. And all these players that are earning two to six million are suddenly all out the league. Um, potentially will never come back. So they're going, we want to spread this over. Initially, they said the remaining 10 years um, or 11 years of the collective bargaining agreement. Owners obviously don't want to do that because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And to push it that far, the team effectively need to borrow that amount that's lost each year to then fill the gap. So if you're an owner, you don't want to take out a, effectively a 10-year loan to cover that amount. So a compromise is going to be reached. About three to four years seems the most reasonable. Um, which they're talking about rather than having any drop in the salary cap, creating effectively a flat salary cap until it catches up and then peak it. So we'll see a rise or doing something of like, we'll take out say 50% of all rises in the future and that will just cover the loss until that amount's made. So there's been talks of different routes to do it. Probably it's going to be flat next year and then they'll tear it off because they won't want a case of where it stays flat and then suddenly it jumps 40 million in a year because that's what it's taken with the new TV deal. So to some compromise, but the one team that is in an amazing position to capitalize on this, um, and it feels weird saying capitalize on the coronavirus and this impact on the NFL, but is the Browns. We've got a lot of cap space, 30 million in rollover, which we're sitting on at the moment. And that is going to catch up with us pretty quick because we've got all these players like Hooper, like Conklin, who are backloaded. Their deals are going to go up. Obviously, Miles is going to increase after this season. But having that extra space and some flexibility to clear players off that we don't want, we can then go start cherry-picking other rosters in the NFL, the Eagles, the Saints. These are rosters that are absolutely loaded full of expensive players. We can start going around and going, oh, we'll take that off you. Or free agency comes along and suddenly we can go and get the best tier players. They're only going to be on a slight discount, but there'll be lots of teams that won't be able to go out and sign players or have to let players go. So we're in a prime position to uh, clear up some talent. It's one of those things where in the NFL you get those really fat-laden deals and then they start trimming the fat. So you're definitely, you're definitely going to have almost three tiers of NFL players trying to fight that because you're going to have the rookies. Obviously, they haven't all been paid. Then you got those mid-tier guys, the guys that know they got to hang on in the league as long as possible and make that mid-level money. And then you have the superstars that, to be honest, I mean, money doesn't really matter. That They have so much of it at this point. It's more about fighting ego. So, guys, um, the money's obviously not going to get there from the TVs and the uh, – well, I guess the TV money's quite safe. Is that fair or not, guys? So, well, yeah. It's safe it in the sense of now, but when those – you know, for example, I don't believe the NFL's renegotiated with CBS yet, have they? Uh, I don't think that deal's been done. So, the one thing that players have to be careful about is – with this situation, we're now, you know, Jack and I were talking about it before the show. While the ratings for the games may be down or maybe up or at normal, 
a lot of the stuff that goes along with the NFL, and Jack, I'll let you elaborate more because of the point you made, but a lot of the stuff that surrounds the NFL, probably not going to be there. So a lot of that supplemental income may not be there. Yeah, it's one that lots of people don't enjoy a mixture of sport and politics. And that, that's regardless of whichever way it goes, um, whether it's your president getting involved, whether it's your a left-wing movement getting involved. Lots of people just don't want to see it. They understand the issues, they get it, but they don't want to mix sport and politics. In the same way, lots of people don't feel comfortable doing politics and family dinners. Um, we've all been there, <laughs> but uh, lots of us don't enjoy it. And that's going to impact lots of stuff around the league. So I think the games will be unaffected in terms of viewing figures. If anything, they might be slightly up because if there is a push for people still to be at home and there's certain things like holidays aren't able to happen because travel restrictions what are they going to do they're going to sit at home and watch sport but what can happen is the knock-on impact of pre-game certain oh usually i'd watch nfl network all day every day and stuff like that and suddenly that's not there um i know it's been a big impact for me what listening to podcasts i don't do a three-hour commute every day so that's three hours where i'm not listening to podcasts and doing that sort of um thing um there's a couple i'll do listen to but is it's a lot rarer than i used to just because the world's changed and i think that will have a knock-on impact for their non-footballing income almost and the league will be fine the league's gonna bounce back strong um they've got the new tv deal coming in the future they've got a 17th game obviously the shortcoming is the pre-season this game this year i don't know how much money that brings in but i don't think it's game-changing Here's the thing about preseason, though, and I, like you, am in the same boat. To me, I, I will publicly go on record and say this. I despise everything about politics because politics instantly is like two sports teams. You have a home and an away team. So the natural thing is to root for one and cheer against the other one. So you're right. I'm not going to tune into a pre-show, a pregame show that's going to talk about controversial stuff because I have no interest in seeing it. You know, I don't need my opinion formulated by all these people, but you're right. I would actually tune in at one o'clock Eastern, 12 o'clock my time to watch the game. But if these shows just want to talk about all the things related to non-sports, that's not why I watch sports. I watch sports because it's, it's an escape from the stuff that I see every day. And, you know, you, every time you turn on the news here in Chicago, there's something else going on. And it's like, you can't get away from it. And if sports isn't that escape, I think the league the NFL may not suffer because it's such a giant ratings conglomerate, but some of these other sports leagues, the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, they've got to be real careful because you don't want to take those fringe fans and get rid of them. It's just, you're right. I, when I go home and visit my family, I, I don't want to sit around and talk about that stuff. Like, why? And that's what I don't get. The NFL, it's troubling because the players want to talk about it. The players want to be active and involved. And I get it. Absolutely. More power to them. But is it digestible for the content that the NFL gives out there? 365 days a year, seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year, and the NFL network runs 24-7. So how much content sports-related, you know, are we going to go back and watch reruns of the Gruden camp? I mean – What's it's, out there? It's a weird one because I'm in quite an unusual position. I, I don't follow, I think I follow three NFL players on Twitter. Um, and I don't, I don't really care what they've got. Can you name them? Who are the I three you follow? Baker in there. I 
think I've started following Mitchell Swartz half because of his cooking, but he's, he's also great. really, really funny. Um, oh, do I follow anyone else? Miles Garrett? I think I might follow Miles Garrett, um, but I'm not sure on that. Just another blue check mark. Hey, when the blue check marks were getting raided in all the Twitter accounts, were you one of them, Jack? You were yeah, I couldn't tweet, so I went to bed. <sighs> it was Definitely. 11 o'clock at night, so I was like, hey, I'm happy to sleep. But um, I don't think anyone hacked me. I'm, I'm not interesting enough, unfortunately, to do that. Um, but it's one that I, why I respect everything they do in terms of sport, I don't really care what they've got to say in their non-sports life. I, it, it doesn't interest me, any of their takes. It doesn't even have to be the fakest political takes. I don't care what music they're listening to, what they're up to socially. It's like, hey, that, that's their life. I'm happy for them. Let them get on with it. It's Whereas, not like Miles is out there telling you how he comes out of a three-point stance and what he's doing to get around, you know, the left tackle of the Steelers, you know. And, and Miles is a different guy. Paul, Paul and I talked to him, and it was, you know, he has some interesting things about photography and poetry and stuff, which I, I do find interesting. He's right. Most of the stuff that the guys put on Twitter is just, oh, it's, it's brand debilitating than it is brand building. I think a lot of guys sometimes value and think they're a little more important than they are. Yeah, like workout videos, just like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I don't look like that, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> hey, hey, Paul, did you watch Nick Chubb's workout video, and were you able to replicate that? Negative. Um, but l- I'll tell you one thing is, Joby looks like he's really ripped at the moment. Yeah, he's definitely spent some time getting in shape. I did see and that. if you remember, when he got drafted, his mum said, the reason I got him to play football, because he was fat. Yeah, now he was look a at, guy. Yeah, now he's looking really ripped. Yes, yeah, it's, it's one that why I get that he wants to lose weight and I understand that is an important thing for him. I fear um, it, for his playing career because he's sort of getting into a dangerous position where he's too small for a one tech, um, not athletic enough for a three tech. And it's I think they're moving to three. Yeah, but he's the issue is... Build. I think they're moving him into that subset Cam Hayward three tech outside five tech. He, he can move. He's not, like, stiff, but you're right. He's not, like, the edge. He's not, like, Garrett-type movement agility. But I definitely think they're going to shade him uh, more to that three-tech as opposed to the one now that they brought in Billings. So I think they're going to clog Billings and Sheldon more in the middle. And I think they're going to use Ogunjobi more for a little bit more upfield stuff. It'll be interesting to see. That picture. Because it's, it's what you do with the group, because I would have said it's, you've got Sheldon and you've got, um, oh, names escape me. Who's the rookie? Stop oh, um, George, uh, the kid Jordan from Elliott. Jordan yeah, Elliott. Who would just, for me, slotted in at three tech. The other two were one tech. And it was like, right, we've got a great succession plan. We can move on from Richardson a year early if um, Elliott does well. And then you've got a just straight out fight. No one's really coming in with an advantage. Let's see who does best at one tech. And that's now sort of, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. And to be fair, I'd rather have more three techs. If we have a shortage of one techs, then you can pick one up for nothing. You can get a fat man to stand there. Paul, talking about fat men and defensive tackle, Paul instantly goes to his secondary phone because he's like, what the hell are these guys talking about? I know everything about one tech, two tech, three tech, four tech, five tech, six tech, and seven tech. What does Baked so Bean Media think of the techniques of the defensive tackle position? Yeah, Okajobi's got no chance in uh, 
three checkers, let's be honest. He's not, I, I don't think he's quite enough. Who knows? He, 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 he might crack it. Um, something might miraculous happen. And at the end of the day, hopefully, we don't really need a run stopper. Because I don't let's want be taking a little bit It of doesn't run. matter what Ogan Joe Get does. after the quarterback. It matters what Baker Mayfield does. It matters what the offense does. The defense keep the guys under 25 points a game and we should win more than we lose. That's okay, it. here's a really quick question for you guys. How do you think the draft is going to look next year without college football? I think it'll be fine. Um, there's enough stuff on tape. To be fair, as what happened this year, when there's less time to sort of look and um, scout almost of that, with that end bit with people together, it means the greater advantage goes to the... It's the people who love data. And at the end of the day, whose front office is probably in a position to take capitalise on that most? It's the Browns. We really capitalised this year, and I think we're going to be in an even better position next year. If they're looking at two, three-year-old tape, how do you project the player that has missed that whole year? We're going to be able to build a lot more of their models. And it's not just can the team collect that data, are they going to trust it? And I think the Browns will. Whereas someone like poor old Dave Gedewin, he's just going to chew some fat, have a beer with John Dorsey, and then throw a dartboard. Last question, guys. Last minute. Can you see fans being in the stadium at all this season? First question to Jack. York and New Jersey said no. That can change, though, Ian. I didn't read it. I just heard it. So they can change that? No. They'll keep us updated with the... um, with the changes. But at the moment, yes, there's no fans this season, but that can change. Jack? I think we could be on course to see it for the postseason. Um, it might be a limited capacity stadium. I think it's going to be behind closed doors for the regular season. And then with the aim of maybe it's 25%, maybe it will vary nearer the time, then having fans there for the um, postseason. Because I think that's a time when they can go, look, there's enough improvement here. Let's see what we can do. But uh, both questions to you, Ian. You've got about a minute and a half. I'll, I'll, leave, uh, I'll leave the scenario with this. The one year the Browns go far into the playoffs, no fans can be there to see it. How, how, how fitting in Cleveland Browns that's going to be the, one of the best seasons they've had since coming back. Not one fan can be there to watch it. Win the Super Bowl behind closed doors. I'm telling you right now, you think there's protesters and rioters. There's not enough people. They could bring out the military. You're not keeping Browns fans out of that stadium. They will storm the gates like the beaches of Normandy. They'll Hell have to take it to <laughs> UFC Fire Island. They'll do it on UFC Fire Island. All right, go. guys. Ian, where can they find your details? Ian19 on Twitter. So let's, uh, you know, the season's firing up. Let's go. Let's get back to the Browns. where can they find your details? It's at Jack Duffin, D U F I N, on Twitter. Hit me up with any cap questions. DMs are open. Always happy. I'm going to get more excited when the season starts happening, or at least some players in Bria. Anyway, let's finish up by saying go Browns, nine weeks to go. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.